Well, we lucked out because I almost had to start this with dog in my lap. <laughs> I took him to the the vet today and they, they gave him a bunch of shots, including influenza. And I think he's just, you know how when you get the flu shot, you're just kind of like tired. Yeah, you're just like, Ugh. Yeah, I'm sending you a picture right now. You got to see. I found this. Uh, put him in a little sweatshirt, but you can see his little glassy eyes. <laughs> he's not fully there. <laughs> I'm not opposed to dressing my dog up in clothing. Oh, it's cute as hell. When it's your dog, it's awesome. When it's other people's dog, you're like, oh, what's wrong with them? That's, <laughs> that's adorable. It's pretty cute. Yeah, he's he's kind of glossy-eyed. That's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, he has that, like, I don't feel perfect look on his face. So luckily, right before we connected, he was like, all right, I'm done with your lap. So I wasn't sure how I was going to negotiate <laughs> all of that at the same time. Ah, I feel like we should have. What's that song with the with the lyrics? State of emergency. Oh, what is that? Should I? Well, I guess I guess I should have looked that up before we started talking. If I had that in my head, right? State of emergency. Oh my god, I should know that. I I used to like that song. What the hell? It's like a '90s alternative song, though. And I I feel like it would be weirder if we actually remembered it. I'm pretty sure it's not what just came up, which is two chains. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, I'm not going to awesome. even try to sing it. So definitely not two chains. Is it Nazareth? Um, unless you I'm took Nazareth. a weird turn somewhere in your life that I'm not aware of. Yeah, yeah. It's a state of emergency. We need. We got to have money. Money's so important. We got to take it from other places. What a oh, fucking douchebag. I don't even know where to begin on that. I mean, what? A, I mean, there's so many things wrong with that situation. I mean, the, you know, the thing that surprises me even more. Sorry, I'm I'm like unwrapping an acid as we're talking here. Um, the thing that that bugs me more is all the Republicans who are standing alongside of him. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I understand it, especially considering that it, it's it, what he's doing is the antithesis of what most of them believe or purport to believe. Actually, yeah. I, actually, I, I, I sent an email to Mitch McConnell this morning, telling really? him, telling him exactly that. <laughs> you sent a political email. What are the chances? Yeah. Well, I just I felt like it's ridiculous. You know, they they want to stand up and they want to say, "Oh, we don't want this country to be a socialist country," but then you extend the 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 balance of power towards the the president's office, and then who knows. You know, now you're opening. That was my argument. Now you've opened the door for all the things you don't want to happen to happen by just standing there. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it was very polite. Yeah, well, including true and 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 obvious socialism in in probably the most insidious way possible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and people probably on listen to this show that maybe they're confused because I I tend to rip into the left a lot, so they maybe they think I'm a Republican. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, neither am I. By the way, <laughs> yeah, no, you're definitely not a Republican. I, I uh, feel like I feel like yeah, but I'm not. I'm not. I mean, as much as I do stuff for the Democratic Party, I feel like I'm not really a Democrat either. At it's least hard to be loyal to these sense. teams. They're just so broken. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's um. I just discovered this website. They have a podcast, and I'm not gonna. I like I said, just discovered it, so I can't uh, stand behind everything they've ever said because it's not my responsibility for anybody out there that wants to get anal about this to read everything that they've ever published. But there's um, Reason.com. It's a libertarian site, but they seem from the things, some of the things that I've um, seen and read from them, that they are the original libertarians. They're the libertarians who were technically the far part of the left, that you know, the non-socialist part of the left. Um, so they're libertarians before it became cool to be a libertarian, essentially. They're libertarians that actually realized the fact that libertarian comes from the word liberty. Yeah, sure. Um, and it's not rooted in some kind of racism or something. Are we actually um, going to add some historical perspective to the show? I feel like that would be a, a, a hard turn for us. That would that would require us knowing it. <laughs> <laughs> and if we've proven anything, it's that we don't know shit. <laughs> and we don't research a damn thing. <laughs> yeah, and we don't claim to know shit, so it's perfect. Um, I want to look at their site real quick because I remember reading the the about page and like liking what it said, but then I don't know how long it is and I don't want to read something really long. Eh, I can't find it right now. Whatever. Um, it, but I do, it says free minds and free markets. I'm like, that's a pretty good slogan. Good encapsulation of what you stand for right there. Sure. I can, I can stand behind something that's that clear. Um, but I, I think that if, if you were to put me into a corner, I'd probably get a lot closer to these guys than, or at least what I think these guys are. I have seen a few things from them that seem different. So maybe they just have many different perspectives within the libertarian um, realm. There's some things that they've posted that I was like, well, I'm not sure what I think about that one. But, well, it's, uh, it's, and it's always tough to tell, right? Like, I mean, considering what the, the idealistic versions of these doctrines are, there's definitely a sense of reason that comes along with them that you have to expect, but that never is inherently true. Um, right. So there's, there's the ideology and then there's the, 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 the parties in principle, right? Like, I mean, if you look at each of the parties' platforms in principle, none of them are really that bad. It's just in practice as humans, we thoroughly fuck it up. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you really took down, if you took all the people that you know, um, especially that are in office that are Republicans and you just looked at, what is purportedly the Republican platform. It's not very crazy. You know, it says basically they, they want smaller government, and which is funny because they always seem to vote for bigger government. Um, yeah. But that's where things get crazy, right? Because it's, it's you, you have these parties, which is why I hate parties, that say they believe these things, but then the people who get elected to things don't necessarily believe those things. What they actually believe is, I want to do the things I want to do, and I don't really give a shit about the principles, and that's both sides. Well, and um, they use the, and they use the parties to just inherently get them in office. It's one of the things that I've been saying for a long time about politics, which is if you need reelection, if you need to be reelected because it's part of your identity, then you've already strayed the wrong way. Like politics has to be a a, a, a medium of choice, not a medium of necessity. You know. Well, that's it's like I feel the same way about this. Um, I'm probably going to say it wrong because I seem to dyslexicize the words. But a green new deal. It's. I mean, I I believe that um, climate change is something we should be dealing with. I just don't like the fact that uh, we've packaged it and tried to slip in a whole bunch of socialism. 
as a way to to deal with the environment. I don't like any bill that tries to do something other than what it says. You know, like you know, like oh, we were going to reduce spending, but we're also going to you know slide this in, this in, this in, this in. No, if you want to really want to reduce spending, how about a bill that only does one thing? Sure. I'm more in support like, of that. And I, and I feel like from a political standpoint, too, it'd be a hell of a lot easier for the general public. I mean, part of the reason why there isn't as much civic participation among the general populace is because politics has gotten so inherently complicated that even the, the practical side of politics has become this quagmire of just just mountains upon mountains of data um, and policies and compromises that no longer have any semblance of clarity. So you have no fucking idea moving from one day to the next. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I understand that, that that political things need to be complicated because you have physical responsibility, you have environmental impact, you have all of these things that most people don't think of on a daily basis. So by its very nature, it has to be complicated. But man, we make it even more complicated than it needs to be on top of that. So I don't understand how the general the general population... Can you imagine if you had four kids or two kids or one kid, or even if you were just had no kids and you were just focusing on your career and trying to live in the barrier, Bay Area, um, how you would have any time to, to, to follow any of this shit at all unless you made a concerted effort to chop out portions of your day purely to focus on this? And it's purposefully obtuse. I mean, they, they make it that way because they don't want you seeing this stuff, you know? I mean, let's let's be honest. Like, if the, the the Green New Deal, first of all, nothing fucking new in there. It's a bunch of bad ideas all smashed together with some good ideas. Some things that I like, some things that I really like, but we've given an unreasonable timeline to. <laughs> but then there's just some plain stupid shit in there. But I mean, it, it, it's indicative of okay, we we I think what's going on is we we don't think that people will vote enough that will stand behind this enough just for the environment. So if we sure. promise them free shit, then they'll back it. So they stuck the two things together and they don't realize what they're doing, how dangerous it is. Like, I mean, there's a point in there where it suggests the abolishment twice, the abolishment of the electoral college. Sure. Do they even have any idea what that means? No, of course not. That's, well, I'm I mean, sure. I'm sure somebody does. Uh, I'm sure somebody would. Then, and 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 I don't understand. Here's here's my my issue on it. Right, there's so many things in there that are inherently unpalpable by the Republican Party that there's no way it can get enough support to pass. Which no, it's means a big fuck have, you is what it was meant to do. Yeah, exactly. It's a giant middle finger, and it's so basically it's a huge political stunt more than an actual attempt right. at reasonable governance and that's that's my biggest problem with it is that you know what let's let's stop with the showboating on both sides let's get down to simple things like for example if we don't turn this fucking ship around on global climate change within the next five to ten years i mean don't get me wrong a lot of scientists already think we're too late but shit man like if we don't get started soon we're in some serious trouble i mean think about how cold it's been in the bay area um and think about the, the basically subarctic temperatures that are happening in various parts of the Midwest and the East Coast. You know, like this is this shit is getting crazy. It's getting to the point now where we're going to deal with this on a much larger scale. You know, things like like wholesale famines are going to happen in large parts of the world that were once fertile that are now going to become these giant dust bowls. And that and and we're already seeing the effects of that in the Middle East. But you know, it's going to start happening everywhere. And I mean, don't get me wrong; like it's not one of those things where I say you know, we're more important than anybody else. But I feel like until it starts happening to Americans, they're not going to care. 
No, of course not, because it's it's questionable, right? Everything is questionable truth now. And the thing is, the thing that pisses me off about this, is instead of spending time figuring out ways to actually fix this and to make improvements that are reasonable, that won't, first of all, destroy the whole economy of the country. I mean, it, it, so what? All of a sudden, we'll have better weather, but guess what? Everybody will be fucking dead because there's no economy and everybody yeah, will be yeah. living in burning fucking houses. You know, yeah, like, I mean, it, 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 it harkens back to post Germany post World War One and the reason how and why the Nazi Party was possible heading into World War Two. It's because the world crippled Germany's economy so badly that the people were, were just desperate. Yeah. And need we remind people that technically <laughs> their platform was socialism? Yeah. <laughs> Granted, they didn't follow through on any of, of the promises not, of that. Nobody ever does. does. I mean, that's 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 the that's the core of what we're talking about, right? Is that there's there's no political party or political agenda that lives up to the ideals of their party anyway. So it's it's pointless to even to to even add that as part of the discussion. Like Republicans, for example, saying that they want smaller government and more fiscal responsibility, and they're going to go build a six billion dollar wall across Mexico. Yeah. Come on, <laughs> while while destroying the balances of, of the three branches of the government. Yeah, well, completely dismantling checks and balances as we understand it and setting pretty much daily now a precedent um, that will need to be reworked, redefined, and completely destroyed moving forward in order for democracy to function in this country anymore. And that's essentially what was in my email. You know, like, whenever you send an email, the pe people seem to, because of social media, we all have, like, our heads up our asses. And we seem to think that if you send somebody an email that says, fuck you and you're, you're a piece of shit and this is what I, this is what I think and that they're going to, they're going to listen to a word. Sure. Um, if you want somebody to listen, you got to understand how they think and you got to talk to them the way they think. And what I said basically is, is you don't want socialism, but need I remind you that the national emergency act, one of, one of the two main purviews of the national emergency act is natural disasters. So if you open the door for someone who wants money for something he couldn't get through Congress and says while well, he's announcing it, I didn't have to do this. Sure. What is going to stop someone from getting into office who wants to institute socialism and something like the Green New Deal and says, guess what? Climate change is a national emergency because it's a natural disaster. Yeah, and I think a lot of the left doesn't, doesn't see that. Um, I say that as as a person who's who's who leans pretty heavily left. By the way, is that you know? Well, the right doesn't see that either. Nobody sees that. Which is in the long run that that sets a precedent that anybody can can forward an agenda regardless of how many checks and balances may inherently stand in the way, because checks and balances, as we understand it, is crumbling before our eyes. Right. I mean, this is like what we've talked about before with the separation of church and state. The reason the separation of church and state is important is so that one religious group cannot subject their opinions and their beliefs onto everybody else. So Christians wouldn't want that to happen because they wouldn't want Muslims to do that to them or Buddhists to do that to them. How did we become a political podcast, man? It's hard not to talk about some of these things when there's well, so when you just when you witness nonsense on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah, but you know, uh, since we don't go too far down that rabbit hole, I I want to focus on some one thing in the New Green Deal that is just so fucking ridiculous that it's funny and we have to talk about it here. Okay, hit me. Replacing air travel with trains. Yeah. 
What fucking moron thinks that's going to work? <laughs> are you kidding me? <sighs> there are five over 5,000 airports in this country. First of all, do you know how many jobs that is? There's probably at least 100 people that work at those airports. That's 500,000 jobs you'd be eliminating. Number one, for every one of those airports, you'd probably want a train station. <laughs> but here's the weird thing about having 5,000 train stations. <laughs> how the fuck do you connect them? Because it's not the air. <laughs> just, saying, just saying that out loud is, is preposterous. I mean, I mean who... The level of insanity that 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 somehow conceives of that being a possibility within our current infrastructure is just shocking. It's not a possibility in any infrastructure. The, the sure. spaghetti of lines that that would cause. I mean, we'd have no housing because train lines would have to be everywhere. You know sure. the, the, what they don't think about when people say stuff like this. For example, you want to go from San Francisco to New York. You need you need a line that goes from San Francisco to New York. You want to go to Miami from San Francisco. You need a line that goes to Miami. You want to go to Hoboken. You need a line that goes to Hoboken. You want to go to Austin. You need a line that goes to Austin. You want to go to LA. You need a line that goes to LA. Just the line from San Francisco to LA was going to cost, what, $22 billion? And they couldn't even get it done. They had to cancel. Uh, It would cost in the septillions to create an actual functioning infrastructure for our country completely on rails. And then we're not talking, in order to make it a viable transportation system too like there's no way it can be trains as we understand them um just because carbon carbon footprint it would be enormous if we were using fossil fuel trains in order to travel across the country so even if we weren't just the the amount of fossil fuels would be used to build those trains in the factories that we would need to build the, the actual trains sure i mean it's 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 hard to even conceive of I can't, it's hard to talk about even because it's so nonsensical. Like it's there's the absolutely zero way it's going to happen. It's so funny. And I mean, okay, first of all, let me also clear something up. The fastest train in the world in Japan has a top speed of 260. Now, granted, it doesn't always travel at top speed. It travels at about 150 miles an hour on average. Sure. The average plane, not the top plane, the average plane Flies 460 to 575 miles an hour. Sure. And, and guess what? Planes don't have to stop every fucking, I don't know, I don't know 50 miles because well, of you, the stations. You turn a five-hour journey into a four-day journey is what you do. Yes, even with the and fastest that's, and train. That's, that's, and that's four non-stop days, by the way. Like, if you stop anywhere in between, you've just doubled that time. It's ridiculous. It's out of control. There's no but, way. <laughs> but my favorite part about this, this is, I mean, all of that's is stupid, but this is the part where somebody's head was so far up their ass that it made me laugh. That I actually, I was holding my phone. I dropped my phone. Okay. So this is the green new deal, right? Ecology. Sure. What do you tear up when you put down train lines? Oh, just the entire environment. A shitload of nature. <laughs> Trees. I don't know. You gotta be kidding! How many animals will get hit by these trains going 300 miles an hour? Well, this is not even to say that like the the the, tra- the rail lines themselves will create massive ecological divides. You know what I mean? It's it's the stupidest thing I've seen in a really long time. I mean, it actually makes this state of emergency thing look more reasonable because this is so stupid. 
Well, I mean, the level of insanity on both sides is just incredible now. It's just incredible. And on a daily basis, it gets progressively worse, which you kind of don't think it can. You know, considering how closely I follow politics and how involved I am, and you, you know my level of involvement with this kind of stuff. It, just when you think it can't get crazier, you know what I mean? The, the federal government, the Democrats, the, the the Republicans, like pretty much the entire federal government has a way of just proving you wrong. It's almost like they're daring you. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, you don't think we get, we can get any crazier? crazier? Watch this. Yeah. I know. It's it's like um, it's like if you smash social media and reality shows into something and then pumped it full of a bunch of steroids and really crazy fucking high sugar candy, then we'd be close. Well, the problem is, the problem is, and here's what it really comes down to, right? It's now just a game of political chicken. It's which side will flinch first at which crazy idea. And that's exactly what it is. You want to do that stuff over there? Okay, then we're going to pretend that we are super socialist over here because let's build fucking trains. Let's get to it. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny. But you know what else is funny? Kathy Griffin's getting sued. I know there's there's like a particular glee in your voice when you say that. Oh, uh, she fucking deserves it. You know, um, I don't I don't discourage. You know, I, I tried to make clear. You know, people have redemptive qualities, but guess what? When you do shit like that, you deserve to get fucking sued. Sure. That that shit. You know, Bill Marsh gets sued too. I don't know if you know this, but after the after like everybody retracted you know, for the most part, retracted all these statements that they had said about this whole situation because nobody took the time to watch the whole three-hour video. Um, He still (laughs) went after them and went after these kids. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, also, I don't know if you know this. This kind of blew my mind. Somebody was reading one article and they said, hey, you know those hats that they're wearing? I hate to say MAGA, but I hate to say the full phrase. The red Trump hats that they're yeah. wearing, they might not have brought those with them because there's a shitload of those sold about 20 feet from where this happened. And maybe they just bought them to be jerks. <laughs> so now all these assumptions on who these kids were were based on what they were wearing. And they might have just bought them five minutes before this happened just for the hell of it. Yeah. But to be real with you, though, I mean, there's, there's a, I mean, there, there's so many different sides to stand on this thing, right? Like, I don't think anybody's got the full story. And unless you were there, you don't really know. Um, but I feel like the it's kind of just taken on a life of its own. I mean, who knows which side is right? Ultimately, too, they're a bunch of kids. You know That's what I mean? my whole point. It's not about who's right. It's their children. And we're expecting... We're, we're putting... We're shitting on them like they're adults. Not, not that we should shit on adults, but if you're going to shit on somebody, shit on adults. These are children. Yeah. You know, you and I talked about the past before and who we were before. When I was 16, I was an idiot. Oh, man. Yeah, I've said and done things, hell, even into my 20s that I regret now. I, would, so, I, pro- so. I probably would have been with them when I was 16. I went, to, I went to an all-boys Catholic school. Sure. I probably would have been with them. Sure. And well, so... I mean- and and who I was with during those years kind of speaks to the social inequity too. I probably wouldn't have ever even been invited on a trip like that because I went to a school on the east side. Yeah, I mean so that's a, that's a problem in and of itself. <laughs> I was the poor kid with all the rich kids that had to work after after school every day to pay for his own tuition, but I probably still would have been there. You know, and and I watched the video, and I can tell you one thing that is very clear to me is. 
the people that were the assholes were the people at the beginning. The I don't remember what they call themselves, black Hebrew Israelites or black Israelites. They were being the assholes. If you listen to that video, they're literally insulting everyone that walks past them. They insulted the Native Americans. One guy came over and he says, he says, you deserve to lose your country because you worship a buffalo. Jeez. They were literally stirring shit up. So I, whatever happened from that, I really think came from there. Not because of their color, not because of their religion, but because they were being douchebags. Well, can we start with the core of this too, which is, okay, so whatever your belief system is, is whatever your belief system is. I have no problem with that. But man, can, can organized religion needs to take a long, hard look at itself and really understand the ultimate damaging effect it has on society as a whole. I don't even think it's organized religion. I just think it's groups of people being tribal and being fucking assholes to each other. Oh, yeah, that's true. We, we had this whole, it seemed like, it, it, maybe I was wrong, but it seemed like in my lifetime, we had this whole move away from that type of thinking. And we were all, felt, I felt like we we're all becoming more of a society that was together. And now it's like, it, you know, it's like a contraction. And then, and then now it's just exploding. And then it's maybe, hopefully, it will come back together. Tighter. Yeah. I, I, I feel like it, I feel like it's cyclical. And I feel like I feel like society, especially one. I mean, if we're if we're really taking it for what it is, right? The United States is not that old of a country, and we're still trying to figure out who we're, who we want to be when we grow up, you know. And so, from that perspective, there there are obviously going to be some awkward years in there where we're redefining pretty much redefining democracy as we understand it on a daily basis. I mean, there's no truer time in American history that that's been true than it is now, other than you know the the days in which we were fighting a revolution for our sovereignty. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like there will people, there will be people who argue that the Cuban Missile Crisis or the Nixon era are 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 just as damaging and extreme as what we're witnessing now, and they they're probably right on some level. But those were earlier times. You know, the, those were times in which we we you could give us a free pass for for learning who we were supposed to be as a country, both you know internally as well as on the world stage. But now, I mean, we just don't. With, with the way the world is, we just don't have that excuse anymore. I think that, I mean, having, you know, last week I mentioned I was going to read that 10 arguments for deleting your social media accounts right yeah. now by Jaron Lanier. Having read that, it's hard not to see the correlation of this, this fire that's just ignited in everything where everyone's tearing each other apart and the birth of this thing. And it, it I mean, when you read this book, the argument is pretty fucking clear and pretty obvious to the point where you feel like an idiot for not putting it together before. That literally this is what is causing all of it. Because, you know, we talked about last week about one person yells, so another person has to yell to be heard and then everyone ends up yelling. Yeah, and no one's heard, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's exactly what it is. Um, I mean, I just, I, 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 it's really hard to go into an in-depth thing about that book. I think people should just read it. But I want to read just a couple short quotes. We'll talk about each one separately so that it's not like some long block of me reading. But I, I tried to <laughs> to highlight the, the important things. And I'm like, you know what? I, I'm not going to summarize this well. I'm just going to read a paragraph <laughs> because he says it better than I ever could. He has this name for the whole thing. It's called the Bummer System. It's an acronym. He just gave it an acronym because he's like, I don't know what else to call it if I don't give it a name. Sure. 
But his essential argument is, well, there's 10 arguments, but one of the core arguments is this idea that this bummer system, it ranks negativity over positivity. And, oh, sure. and it's not someone created it to do that. It's just literally that when you build algorithms and you build them to do what this is doing, which is, you know, essentially built on um, getting advertising money, right? The, the whole point is, is as a, uh, because it's free, they need to get more advertisers, right? So they need everything to, to go viral, really essentially, right? For the system to work. So the negativity is what feeds faster. Um, so the first quote is, whether or not positive feedback might in theory be more effective in certain cases, negative feedback turns out to be the bargain feedback, the best choice for business. So it appears more often in social media. Negative emotions, such as fear and anger, well up more easily and dwell in us longer than positive ones. It takes longer to build trust than to lose trust. Fight or flight responses occur in seconds while it can take hours to relax. Mm. And so his, his basic, his basis of this is what he's saying. He says the negativity, it's, it's cheap. You know, the, if, if you destroy somebody on, on Twitter and get retweeted, you only had to do one tweet to do that. But to build up a positivity thing, you know, you got, well, maybe a couple of weeks of positive, positive tweets to get that reputation out. But if you destroy one person, you get a reputation instantly. I can't wait for you to. So at some point, you got to do this. Um, Jack Dorsey, who's the, the, the founder and CEO of both Twitter and Square, mm-hmm. um, he was on Rogan and he was on Sam Harris's podcast. Heard them both. Did you really? Mm hmm. Oh great! Absolutely. Okay, then we have then we have a lot to talk about. <laughs> Good, because I was going to work that into this, so that's perfect. <laughs> well, nice. Okay, so a little more synchronicity. That it, that feels nice. I haven't had a lot of that lately, so it's it's nice to feel that at least with you. Some positive feedback. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, another one. He says, "I'm just. I want to get through these so that we can just mix this together with those conversations because I think of anything, those two conversations apply to. I mean, he got so much shit, which. We'll go into that. Anyways, um, the prime directive to be engaging reinforces itself. And no one even notices that negative emotions are being amplified more than positive ones. Engagement is not meant to serve any particular purpose other than its own enhancement. And yet the result is an unnatural global amplification of the easy emotions, which happen to be the negative ones. And it, it's just like, <laughs> he just nails it. And you're like, fuck, oh, man. it's so obvious. With nothing else to seek but attention, ordinary people tend to become assholes because the biggest assholes get the most attention. God, isn't that true? Man, I hate that that's true. They get elected, though. Yeah, sure. I mean, and speaking through social media isn't really speaking at all. Context is applied to what you say after you say it for someone else's purpose and profit. Sure. I mean, we've unintentionally talked about um, people making, um, you know, sarcastic comments on Twitter and then having their lives ruined. Mm-hmm. Because someone applied, you know, like that, that girl with the, with the AIDS thing, the AIDS joke. People uh, applied what she, context to what she said. Yeah. When the actual context was that she was being snarky and not very good at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not. I'm not defending what she said. I mean, that's in bad taste. But 
it's it's it, without the context, it completely changes the 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 perception versus effect of it. You know, I do defend what she said because I think that people should be able to say things in bad taste. I agree with that. I agree with that. As long as it's not especially if it's a joke. I mean, look at look at um, Daniel Tosh. I, I just sent you that clip. If, yeah. if you watch that whole video, literally everything he says, he couldn't do that on stage anymore. I don't think. I don't think he could even do that bit, that whole show, yeah. because he literally says the worst things possible for an hour. Sure. We've you know we've talked about the nuance thing, but we've also lost fucking sarcasm. Like Jesus Christ, people, come on! You know, and and I've been I've been kind of joking. Ironic that I'm using that word, um, but I've been saying this for for a while. I mean, part of the reason why you have wars everywhere in the world, in the Middle East and, and Africa, um, and I'm not making blanket statements about these things. Like we can dive into the minutiae if anybody wants, but I don't think anybody cares. But just for the sake of what we're talking about, no one laughs anymore, man. No one can joke about anything, and I think that's part of the reason why we have such monumental divides between groups of peoples because we all take ourselves so fucking seriously. Everything's a personal attack. Everything is a criticism of your ideology. And there's no such thing as 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 common sense anymore when it comes to that. You know, you have to stand on the soapbox or your voice will never be heard. And that that I think is so much more damaging than than any of the things that we're talking about on a political scale. Like I think because that 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 sets a social norm that then defines the mode of communication between people. And I think the longer we let it go, the more, the more assholes we're going to become. And we're all social, we're all uh, posturing, um, moral posturing. Sorry, that's a word. That's what we're doing. We're all moral posturing. I'm the more moral. I have more morals than you. Yeah. But uh, I mean, before we go back into the social media thing and all that, (laughs) If we continue to do that, there won't be any comedy because guess what? Comedy is based on shocking you. Sure. Even the most... There's a great, great article. I will find it if it's available online that was put into um, this magazine called The Believer, which sounds like a religious magazine. Totally isn't. Literary magazine. Um, But it was called The Dead Chipmunk, I think, or The Dead Squirrel. Um, And it's basically about this guy who goes to the park I'm not going to do it justice. That's why you have to read it. But he goes to the park with his daughter and there's a dead squirrel. And he kind of has this moment where he's like, I don't know what to do. You know, what do I say? But this dead squirrel and his daughter makes a joke. She's a little girl, but she makes this little joke about this dead squirrel. And then it (laughs) makes him think about comedy. He's like, oh, that's what comedy is about. You think that this thing is going this way, but then it goes to the left. Well, I mean, if you look at if you look at the great comedians through through history, you know what is what is the 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 common denominator between the memorable ones? You know, they're the ones that push your comfort level, right? Because, like I said, it's all based on that shock. Even even the most lame dad joke, at its smallest, if you really zoom in, you see that the whole thing is about shocking you because it goes a different way. A sure. pun is about using a word differently than the way it's supposed to be used. Sure. So when you stop doing that, shit stops becoming fucking funny. And yeah, like I mean, like you said, look at Richard Pryor. Come on now. Dude, or Eddie Murphy or George Carlin or any of any oh, of our yeah. heroes, man. And that's not to say that we're supposed to accept the things that they say because number one, they're joking. Sure. 
So um, guess what? But you know, there are jokes that are that are meant to be mean and and demean other people. That's true. But guess what? If you got if you were a comedian and you got up and you did that humor, you just wouldn't get very far because people wouldn't keep coming to see you because it made them feel gross. Sure. You don't have to like tear people apart on Twitter to stop them. You know, like Louis C.K. For example, we'll use him for a great example. First of all, I didn't know this. I just found this out recently, which kind of screwed my head up. The whole thing with the masturbating, uh, not making, but asking people if he could masturbate in front of them, that was from a long time ago. That wasn't, he didn't do it. He just got called out for it recently. I didn't know that. Um, But the thing about it is, when I look at him now, that's all I think about. Sure. Not not that I'm I'm judging him or anything. It's just like every time I watch a Robin Williams movie, it makes me sad because he killed himself. Mm-hmm. Um, when I do, when I do that, that's how I feel. So guess what? Unfortunately, because of what he did and me not trying to do it, he's kind of lost a fan. Um, I'm not judging him because I don't have fucking time to think about Louis C.K. Um, I don't really have anything to think about him coming back. Um, I'm not going to moral posture about it myself. I just don't have that much interest in him anymore because every time I look at him, I look at him, I think of him masturbating. Mm. So it's kind of fixes itself. We don't have to be these like fucking moral police for everything. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's one, one step away from falling into some fictitious dystopian future in which we have an actual moral police. <laughs> what, what was that? Um, it's kind of like, um, Oh, minority report. Story. Yeah, minority report. But I mean, you p- pick your story, right? Like, I mean, Fahrenheit four fifty one. Uh, just go through, go through all of it. Go through any 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 dystopian future in which a government becomes this moral high ground and the moral police, and 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 look at all the cautionary tales we already have in fiction, and some of the practical examples we have in modern modern and ancient history that show us that that's a really bad fucking idea, <laughs> right? Um, well, let's go back to um, Sam Harris and Joe Rogan. What did you want to? How do you want to tie that in? Mm. I'm not sure how I wanted to tie it in. I just knew I wanted to talk about it at some point um, because hearing hearing Jack Dorsey talk about Twitter in the thoughtful way that he did really changes my perception of the intent of Twitter. I mean, don't get me wrong; you know, people have hijacked it for their own purposes, but. I understand what he's trying to do now, at least. And it's the first time I've really understood it that way. Um, And I think that there's definitely benefit to it in the long run. And I think that if there is going to be a swing in the direction of a leveling out um, in which we're not as extreme and standing on our soapboxes anymore, strangely, I think Twitter's going to have something to do with that. Well, you know, the thing that one of the things that Lanier says in the book is he says, first of all, he's like, I'm a, he's like, I'm attacking the bummer system. That's why he named it. He's like, I love, he's like, there's so many people at Twitter that I love. He's like, I'm not attacking the people. He's like, they all have the best intentions. His whole point is he says, the way that things are set up, going back to our free versus paid thing, the way that things are set up because everything's free is no matter what the fuck they do, it's always going to end up like this because it's always going to amplify the negative things because that's what's going to get the money. Sure. So, so basically, if you throw advertising into anything, like, I mean, if you look at broadcast news for what it is, right? Like who, what channels are people going to watch? The ones with the good stories 
or not the good stories, but the positive stories or the negative ones, you know? So at the, the moment you introduced advertising into news as we knew it, news changed. Right. So, so that's, that's it. unfortunately, I think that as long as you have a monetary component to something like Twitter, um, in an obvious way in which advertisers are a part of the equation, negative, it just always inherently trumps positive, And that really sucks. Right. That's why, you know, like he, he references multiple times in there, the Netflix model. Netflix is able to, they don't do it as much anymore, but then, you know, remember they used to save shows and all of that stuff. Why were they able to do that? Because they didn't have to worry about losing ratings or advertisers, right? Sure. As, as long as their numbers, you know, people subscribed were up, they were good, you know? And that's because it's a pay model. Well, then maybe, then maybe there's a cost associated with positivity and we need to really understand the monetary value of good. Yeah, I mean, his main argument for deleting your social medias, which I don't even think is one of technically one of the 10, but when you boil it down to what he's saying, he says, delete everything now. Because if you actually delete all of your social media now, it's going to make these companies shit their pants. And if they shit their pants, then they have to build something better. Sure. Because he thinks that there is something possible better. And he thinks this is the first step and it's just been a really bad fucking step. And that, you know, they can build something that actually works that doesn't do this to us, but not as long as we keep feeding into it and we keep... Well, part of the problem is, you know, if we think about the rise of social media, it's a fairly recent rise. And so because of that, I think it's it's been extremely chaotic and we really weren't we really weren't culturally ready for what social media was going to do to us. And I think that that's, that's, where the, that's, that's where the problem lies. It's not that the tool itself is inherently bad, but that the tool itself is given to a group of people that isn't ready for it. It's like handing a gun to a caveman, you know? Right. Um, and, and, and that's probably the most apt analogy I can use for it. You know, all of a sudden, this caveman now has a weapon that he can use to dominate all of the other cavemen. So what's he going to do? He's going to dominate it because he doesn't have the, the wherewithal to, or the wisdom to, to wield that weapon with a level of thoughtfulness that encourages forward movement or growth. He just wants to control the world. That's 2001. You know, the apes, the moment oh, yeah, they realize yeah. the bone can be a weapon. Oh man, we're just and fucking cavemen. <laughs> there's a there's a really fascinating video. I will try to find this as well. Um, it's really long because it's one of those um, YouTube videos where somebody's actually doing like a a dissertation almost. You know, it's not meant to be entertainment. The guy's literally breaking something down for like an hour. Um, but he talks about his this theory that he has about 2001. Pretty sure it's not um, an intended meaning, but fascinating when you look at the fact, uh, look at the shape of the monolith in 2001 mm-hmm. and now hold your smartphone next to it. <laughs> so, the, you know, the monolith comes and then all of a sudden the apes find out that they can use the bones as weapons. Now, imagine that's a giant iPhone. <laughs> and it's. Sure. It, it's pretty weird. It's a it's a fascinating theory that he's talking about, and um, I guess there was later. There's that scene at the end of the movie where he's in that um, white Victorian room, you know, at the end. Yeah, um, sure. Where he's growing yeah. old. Yeah. And, he, and the monolith appears in the room. Kubrick originally wanted to project video onto it. Oh, interesting. And, and then he decided against it. Hmm. So there was some weird correlation. He his his argument was that perhaps. 
um, this guy's argument is that obviously he didn't know anything about cell phones, but that he was insinuating um, the screen, the television, or the uh, movie, the movie screen. Sure. Um, but anyways, fascinating, fascinating research study. I mean, uh, not research, but researched study on a film. Really cool to watch if you're into it, that kind of stuff. Um, but I think that this is weird. I want to... I want, <laughs> I want to make a point about something that Dorsey about Dorsey's um, interviews, but it makes me have all these other things that I want to spin off. It's so, it's so connected to so many things, but one of the things that that I've been realizing is how difficult their job is. Um, And I don't think that people really understand. Um, And the reason I'm I'm saying this is difficult for me to talk about, because the first thing I would want to say is about the banning. Um, but I actually want to put that off till later and say that the talk about the opposite, which is people don't realize what the pressure of running a full um, full freedom of speech platform would really be like. Sure. That, you know, people say they want free speech, but free speech actually terrifies you. Even me, who talks about all the time, um, there's two new social networks. So one's called Minds, which is kind of like... Um, I don't know. I'm not going to compare it to anything. Um, and then there's Gab, which is kind of like um, a Twitter. It's, it's a lot like Twitter. Both of those, if you if you bring those up to the right people, will tell you <clears throat> not to check those out because there is no censorship at all on there. Um, and they're full of neo-Nazis. And they're kind of right. Um, not because that's the only people that go there, but just because they can't be on other platforms, so that's where they've gone. Uh, I mean, I signed... I didn't I didn't sign up, but I, I signed onto their site and just kind of like, oh, let's see what it looks like. And I clicked in, and it only took me about a minute <laughs> to find some crazy anti-Semitic rant. And I was like, oh, oh. that's right. This is what free speech really looks like <laughs> sometimes. Well, unencumbered speech that is not limited by our stipulations in the First Amendment. I mean, what what a lot of people somehow don't grasp about the First Amendment, well, it's probably because most people haven't read the First Amendment, is that there are some stipulations in there that, that, that make it so that you can't impede upon the rights of another person or threat bodily harm on, or threaten bodily harm on somebody else. Right. Um, and you're right. Like, I, th- I think true free speech terrifies people and our understanding of free speech within the model um, of like, let's say Twitter, for example, I mean, a lot of the reason why we feel safe there is because we want free speech for people who are going to say similar things to us. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so, and so the, the, the sense of communication tribalism becomes very palpable in that environment. And I think that that's, that's, that's such a mistake um, by culture and humanity and America in particular is that, you know, free speech, if if we're going to speak freely, we have to be allowed to speak completely freely without any limitation. And mm-hmm. as soon as you introduce limitations into the system, like if you're only hearing, you know, and and, and Dorsey does talk about this in his Sam Harris um, interview too, um, is that you can't, you have to hear both sides. Like, I mean, one of the things that he says he really, that really irks him about Twitter um, and that saddens him about the platform is that you don't see enough from everybody. You just see a lot from the people you agree with. Right. And that's that bummer algorithm. Yeah. And you know, that, you know, the, the whole, 
of course, I don't want to see that kind of shit. You know, the the neo-Nazi comments and stuff like that. I don't agree with any of that shit in case anybody was questioning. They haven't listened to another episode before <laughs> where it should be blatantly obvious. I don't agree with that shit. I don't want to see that shit. But then the other end of it is what Twitter and Facebook have been doing, which is just fucking banning people sometimes for completely lopsided reasons. You know, this is one of the things that that Rogan um, got in trouble for. You know, Rogan usually doesn't pay attention to criticism for his episodes. Sure. But he made a really long... The episode after the Dorsey one, he went into like, I would say almost 40-minute explanation. Um, And he's going to have Dorsey on again because people wanted him to really push on some of these banning things. And, you know, like, you know, like why, if this person did this, um, you know, called for this person to be docs, why were they banned? But Kathy Griffin, who did the same thing, wasn't banned. Well, well, I mean, there's a balance point, right? Like Dorsey, so Sam Harris did talk, or did ask Dorsey a little bit about this. Mm -hmm. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I wish he had pushed him a lot harder. And and even in the introduction into the episode, um, Sam Harris does talk about wishing that he had done so. But I think that the, the, the his his answer I, I actually thought his answer was was not bad, even though I feel like it should have been flushed out a lot more. Which is, it's they ban people for the collective intent of their pages and what they've been doing versus what versus a singular tweet or a singular statement. Right, you know? but they and, have and no know, evidence and, of that being true. Yeah, and I have no... I, I mean, I don't completely buy that. Like, I wish he had described that with much more detail. Because um, otherwise, it's just pure censorship, right? Um, well, it's clearly also, lopsided. Yeah, but he, he also talks about... He also talks about taking a stand in, in that, you know, there, there, there can be no real neutrality anymore and that he doesn't... He doesn't apologize for being on one side or the other which is unfortunate not because i don't think that he has an opinion to that but because we've we've invested so much in these platforms as as to a way that we have civil discourse on them now um not really civil discourse that we have (laughs) and not really discourse but we have the illusion that that's what we're doing at least right Sure. Um, most people can't imagine those things happening anywhere else. And to think that only half of the people get invited to that party and the other people, they just have to behave. You know, they can be on there as long as they're on a leash. That's not, that's not right. Yeah, and it, I agree. It, it makes me really, I mean, and I don't agree with these people. These people that, you know, these, these far right people that would attack people the way that they do, you know, telling women that they hope somebody rapes them or they, they kill them. I definitely don't agree with any of that shit, but it makes me feel really gross about the company. And yeah, to be and, honest, and he, I felt like he was a bullshit artist in both interviews. Really? You think so? Yes, absolutely. I don't feel like he was honest at all. I feel like everything was practiced. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I feel like a lot of it was practiced too. But philosophically, like, I mean, my my opinion of of Dorsey isn't just based on those two particular interviews. Um, Like, you know, I've read a bunch of stuff throughout the course of his career, actually, about what his intentions were with 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 Twitter and and where he has strayed from those intentions and stuff like that. So, I mean, there's a part of me that that buys a lot of it because I, I feel like his heart's in the right place. But I definitely feel that at some point along the way, he took the safer route. 
Um, and the safer route is to to err on the side of safety um, when it comes to the 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 political spectrum that he's going to stand on. You know what I mean? I don't even um, think that's what he's doing. I think he's erring on the side of the popular what he the popular kids. Yeah, and that's what I that's what I mean. Like he he doesn't want to be an outsider. And, and and don't get me wrong too. I mean, there's a financial component to that, obviously. Like he stands to make a heck of a lot more money from the popular crowd than he does the extreme right crowd. But I I do agree with you though. I mean, something we talk about on the show all the time is that in order to to move forward as a country culturally and politically, we have to find a way to have reasonable discourse. And I feel like Twitter, if anything, right now does the opposite of that. Right, because it cuts all of the stuff, all the things in the middle where people can meet and and hash things out. All yeah. the context, all the nuance, sure. all those things are absent. Completely yeah. absent. Facebook's no better, let's be honest. Just as bad. And in some ways, Instagram is just as bad as well. Sure. Um, you just don't have a lot, as far as I've seen, a lot of political arguments on Instagram. Well, I think I think the, the the weakness of all of these social platforms is that you have a tendency to gravitate gravitate towards like minded people, and if if a social if a social network is meant to be a you know I, I heard the, him use the the term town square if it's meant to be a town square then that means that there has to be a room there has to be room for a lot of different opinions so that you can educate so that you can find middle ground because otherwise it's just a bunch of the same assholes in different rooms and no one's listening to anybody <laughs> and while i do definitely think that's true i also do want to point out that um, i'm not saying you're doing this but in the media this whole idea of we gravitate towards people who agree with us it's kind of become this like crutch you know this crutch excuse that people use like oh we can't figure it out because this is what happens it's you know what people do that in real fucking life too sure you know i don't hang out with neo-nazis why because i don't fucking agree with them (laughs) nothing in the world is going to change that so there's 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 a certain there's a certain subtlety to that argument that is glossed over all of the time and the truth is it's it's not really that we group together with people that we agree with it's that we don't know how to think critically anymore oh, and sure. we, we don't know how to question our own assumptions and that we're all it's not about tribalism so much as it is about um the way that we look at our, our self-esteem i think because we only feel good about ourselves when we're right well, I feel like there's an extension to that too, which is it's it's and 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 this probably will hit a lot of the points that you have about social media is that we wrap up so much of our identities in it. And I think the sense of validation that we get from it defines who we are. And over a long enough period of time, we replace our actual identity with our social media identity, and that becomes more important. Absolutely. I I, per- I personally know people who have done that. I mean, there are a few people I know who I can't be friends with anymore because it's all about the perfect Instagram story, or all about the perfect tweet, or all about the perfect Facebook post, or the the the, the thing that's going to incite the most attention. Like it's it's infuriating, and I've lost friends over it. <laughs> I've lost people we know over it. Yeah, it's it's this whole social media moment we're having right now is this really i mean a lot of this shit is falling apart it really is i mean do you see the patreons falling apart yep and not just from what we had talked about before but they had like this this huge like outage that put like everybody's accounts in the negative 
and then Conti goes on and he he gives like an interview and and basically says, "Oh, our business model is not sustainable." <laughs> the truth is, they screwed themselves by they took too strong of a of, of a, a side in the battle and the backlash it destroyed them. And I don't know yeah. if they'll come back. I mean, some not all companies are meant to succeed, right? And t- to be honest with you, the Patreon one still surprises me a little bit because I felt like they they had the right idea. Um, and they just they just course corrected in the wrong they pivoted in the wrong direction and that bit him in the ass so fast. Well, I think that they just they leaned into something that they didn't need to lean into. Sure. You know what I mean? Like like, oh, we're gonna kick this guy off our platform. If you just kept your hands out of that, your business would have been fine. Because for the most part, most of the people on Patreon were positive people putting out positive messages because that's how they were making money. Not a lot of people were making money off of hate on that site. It's it's really weird to think about it, but I, I, I honestly think that in the long run, podcasts are going to save media. Unless these bastards working to screw it up right now, screw it yeah, up. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it, and unless we get a monetization model that looks exactly like what it does everywhere else. There's a part in the book, I don't remember what he says, but there's a part in the book where Lanier talks about, he's like, the only media form that's truly uncorrupted this time is podcasts. Sure. Um, he's like, but he's like, what if somebody did this? Oh, I remember what he says. He's like, here's a crazy idea. Imagine this. He's imagine if you, if you incorporated an algorithm he said that listen to all podcasts and just, you know, you want to you hear a podcast about fishing and it just grabs snippets from all these podcasts and only brought you all the information from all these podcasts about fishing. And now you've got an algorithmically created podcast about fishing. Uh, Terrifying, but he's like, that's basically what social media is. Jeez. It's just chopped up pieces. Interesting. That's that's an interesting way to look at it. I never thought about it that way, but yeah, that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this this will bring us back to social media, but I want to tell you something. Really, <laughs> I mean, we've been we've been pretty heavy this episode, so um, this one's I wouldn't say is less heavy, but since it's a little woo, it'll be fun. So <laughs> I was listening. There's this there's a fantastic podcast called Mysterious Universe. And it's these these two guys. I think they're both from Australia. Um, I think they're they're like in their twenty third season. So I'm pretty sure it was a radio show. Holy crap! Um, but they talk about the paranormal. Um, <laughs> but they're also you you might you might have to listen like five or six episodes before you realize that they don't necessarily believe any of the shit that they're sharing. They just find the stories fascinating and they like talking about it. Um, but they had this woman on who I've actually heard before, and her name is Diane Walsh Pazulka, P-A-S-U-L-K. Hope I pronounced that right. And she's written this book called American Cosmic, which I am definitely going to read. Um, and basically, without me going into the whole thing, she, for all of her career, has been a religious scholar. She's not a religious person, from what I could tell. I think at one point she says she's agnostic. Um but she studied specifically Catholicism. Um, like she's written a book about um, purgatory and how purgatory was actually a place. It was actually a cave somewhere. And then it became a metaphor over time. Um, 
but it, it, really fascinating. And somehow she gets, um, I think she had this theory. I don't remember how it all comes together that she ends up writing this book, but she has this basic theory that technology and the belief in extraterrestrials are going to emerge as new religions and that they kind of already are. Yeah, they kind of have, yeah. And she, she goes, it's, it's really fascinating. I have a bunch of notes, but I don't want to go through all of that because it doesn't really fit. But she goes through a lot of that and tells a lot of stories. But one of the stories near the end, um, she says the book was actually finished before this happens. And it didn't really have anything to do with the rest of the book. <clears throat> because the rest of the book, she was with these, um, at least for part of it, with some really um, intelligent and probably famous people that she can't tell the name of. Um in Silicon Valley, they're like uh, tech pioneers. And one is like um, a pioneer in this um, aerospace and space industry. And like, just like legend. She's like, I was, I was talking like one of them is like a, um, a, one of the top 10 biotechnologists in the world. And both of them believe in aliens. And, and she was put, she said, you know, like people think that it's just dumb people that believe in this stuff, but she's like, these are some of the smartest people in the world that believe in this. And she, she, from what I can tell, she doesn't have an opinion about whether it's true or not. But she goes into this whole thing. And then near the, after the book is over, this billionaire calls her up, another person she can't name. I'm almost positive it's Jeff Bezos, but not, I'm not going to say for sure. And he gets her access to the Vatican archives, which for wow. anybody that doesn't know that like maybe one in what, a billion people get access to the Vatican archives. That's probably actually true. I mean, they're, 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 it's like um, the most extensive library of books and research papers in the world. You know, people think it's all Catholic stuff. No, it's everything. It's everything, yeah. Including it's, shit you can't read anywhere else. That's, that's twice the Vatican Archives has come up in my life in the past 48 hours. Ooh, interesting synchronicity. Yeah, I mean, because we're, Crystal was, uh, she just finished Dune. Um, by the way, I I, I I I like put a blanket around her and and congratulated her for completing the journey that was Dune. I I, I forget <laughs> how difficult a book that is to read. It is. Um, it is. It is slogging. It's like, no, nah, I'm not going to compare it to Don Quixote, but it's but it's rough. Um, and she she asked me, you know, what heavy gnarly thing she should read next, and um, we were talking about books that were strange and difficult. And I brought up the Necronomicon um, mm. and how there might actually be a real book called the Necronomicon and how it might be in the Vatican archives. Yeah. I mean, for anybody that doesn't know that they, they supposedly all of these books that, you know, banned books, books that have been burned, um, some by Catholics themselves all supposedly exist in the Vatican archive. Well, not supposedly we know for a fact that some of them do. Um, but so she gets this billionaire, gets her access. And because he wants her to look into all these stories of the levitation of saints. And really fascinating, right? So anyways, she finishes the book. She includes that in the book. And she starts getting these phone calls. And the phone calls are telling her, you fine, you're going to publish your book, but don't extrapolate on your research. Don't, don't make any extrapolations about what you saw. And she's like, what? So she, I don't know if she ignored him or whatever, 
so these guys in the interview, they're like, so we're going to, you know, we told her we're going to post everything on Facebook and Twitter. And she's like, good, because I've been banned on both. Mm. She got kicked off of Twitter and Facebook with no explanation. A religious researcher <laughs> kicked off of Twitter and Facebook. So weird. Yeah, with no explanation. Very strange. Um, it just kind of plays into this whole thing that there's there's a politics. That's why I think he's a fucking liar because he gets up and he says it's all fair. But I think there's all of this stuff, all this politics shit going on behind the scenes. You got sure. enough money, you can get somebody you don't want to talk banned. Guess what? That's not free speech. Sure. That's the opposite. Um, but in the good news, her next book, Glam, guess what it's on? Mm. Synchronicities. Oh, geez, really? <laughs> Come on, man. Uh, so good. So good. Oh, that is that is pretty solid, actually. I literally just listened to that like an hour ago. Man, it's, it's so weird because prior to jumping onto these conversations with you, I, have, I always have these moments of flinching where I just wonder where we're going to go. <laughs> um, and, and I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I feel like we're, we're one or two steps away from heading towards X-Files territory and starting to talk about aliens. But not in the Christopher Walken, I'm scared of greys and giant big black eyes kind of, kind of way, but just the, 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 the difficulty of... Um, the conditions, the rarity of the conditions that produce life in the universe and how we might actually be it. Um, you know, we could be, we could be first. And I mean, 14 billion years sounds like a long time for, but, but that's only in the context of what we understand. You know what I mean? It may not be a long time when it comes to the, the actual universe itself. Well, we also, we're also starting to question the big bang and as being a singular event you know, I, I heard somebody saying the other day that it's possible that the Big Bang is a continuous cycle. Yeah, I, 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 it's there's there's a podcast you should check out at some point. I don't even know if he has a podcast, um, but I, I watch his YouTube channel and it's fascinating. This guy named Isaac Arthur, he's a, a scientist and a futurist, and he talks about all these these things, like the you know what what it would be like for us to to uh, colonize the universe and in, in the most practical way. Um, you know, how it would be to colonize, like, let's say, the, the Oort cloud or, or Mars or Venus or any of the planets in our own solar system and then above and beyond all of that. But one of the things he talks about a lot is the Fermi paradox and the barriers to intelligent life in the universe and how actually weirdly rare it is that the conditions that we have. And it's not to say that life is rare, but life, but intelligent life with consciousness as we know it might be rare. Right. But once again, the the only problem with, that I've always had with the Fermi paradox is it's based on the assumption of the known universe. Sure, the exactly. size of the known universe. Yeah, if and, space and, is really and, and infinite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then then the statistics don't mean shit because in infinity, that means you have infinite chances. Sure. So it's it's that's the weird thing about space, man. I mean, none of us can even digest infinity. Well, I mean, even we can't even digest even smaller numbers, right? Like the fact that our our own per, our own galaxy is forty four thousand light years across. Like there's, we can't. Everything we see from the edge of our own galaxy happened twenty two thousand years ago. Right. Or how about you the know? fact that you can't count a million dollars? Yeah, true. <laughs> we can't even digest that number because it's not. You know, I can count five stones, so I get five. I get five on a level. I will never get a million. Sure. 
because I can go one, two, three, four, five, but not all the way to a million. I'd probably be dead. <laughs> there's there's part of me that wants to do it just to do it. I don't know if you can. I forget what the time on it is. There's one. I don't remember what the number is. There's a number that you couldn't count to because it would be longer than your life to count to it. I'm not sure if it's a million though. It might be a million. I'm fascinated by all this stuff though. I mean, I'm 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 very fascinated by by intelligent the, the the because we the, the other thing we assume like in all our hollywood movies and everything else is that every intelligent species is just as um, expansionistic as we are and has the same set of priorities for example like for for us it's about you know human 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 history has been built on conquest right. and what if what if other what if we're the only assholes in the universe <laughs> right i mean we always give things human motivation you know oh, of course for, for like even with dogs i just wrote read this book about this neuroscientist that scanned the, the brains of dogs for the first time with an fmri and one of the things that he says in the beginning of the book he says he says there are two theories on on the way that we we think about um, training dogs so number one there's the human theory that we think that they think like we think you know that we just the, their motivations like ours it says and then there's the the pack motivation you know that um you have to establish yourself as alpha so that that dog becomes the beta and he says neither of them have any scientific basis they're both just opinions sure pure postulation and, sure and and that's literally the way what we apply it on so many of these things you know like granted i'm not um dumb enough to think of course it's obvious that you know there's no other um, people in the world in the universe that are like us, you know, driven to war and tribalism. Um, but it's possible. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, though. I mean, it's it's been a survival tool. You know, we 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 want our side to win because our side winning means that we populate the earth with our side, right. So, so there's a biological component to tribalism that I think we can't deny as a species. It's a strong drive, man. Like it's a powerful motivating factor, um, and we see it in both small and big ways every single day of our lives. Right. I mean, like think about the fact that there could be a planet out there that's nitrogen based instead of oxygen based, and all of, all of the life forms on there are crystalline, and that there's only literally one type of life on the entirety of that planet. And they all revolve. The, the only way that they survive is by fitting together. Sure. So it's complete cooperation and homogeneous environment. That's pretty peaceful. I'm pretty sure they're not doing any stand-up comedy or writing novels. But <laughs> well, those things evolved because they had to, right? Right. And but that's a question for you. You know, we've talked about the utopia so much. Is utopia too boring for human beings? You know, like, like we, we, we thrive in chaos. I mean, that's definitely who we are as a species. I mean, think about what we were talking about at the top of this episode, right? Like the, the reason why we evolved is because we have the big swings. We, we mm-hmm. have troughs and valleys and extreme moments in our, our history. We, we do not, as a species, evolve gradually. We never have. Biologically, maybe, but culturally, we never have. We've always been chaotic, and 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 it's 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 folly to think of it in any other way. Wow, I can't believe I just said folly. That's weird. It makes me sound like <laughs> a, in a, some 18th century gentleman. <laughs> it is folly. But, you know, I've I've um, been thinking about that though. Like, what? Oh, if everybody got along, 
This is terrible to say. It really is terrible to say, but really think about it. Everybody got along. No one ever disagreed. And we all, no one offended anyone. No one tried to dominate anyone. What the fuck would we do all day? We, we wouldn't have evolved the way that we have. I mean, think about why we are what we are, right? It's, it's competition. Yeah. I mean, even if it's competition against ourselves. Yeah, and if you break it down to, if you break humanity's progress down to its very simplest core, we're built on on competition. Everything that we've ever done, every scientific advancement, every economic push, every expansion, every conquest has all been about that. That's, that's it. We're still trying to outrun the lion. Absolutely, except the lions are now us. Yeah. Um, Damn, that was fucking profound, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's here's something. Um, I, since we're in the philosophical realm, I got to bring this in. There's one thing, it's like almost like a passing comment that Lanier makes in the book that I had to stop. And I'm like, whoa, that's not a minor point. But yeah, it's not the point of his book. I understand why he didn't go any further. But he says, I'll, I'll read the quote. Google's director of engineering, Ray Kurzweil, Kurzweil, I think it is actually. Kurzweil, yeah. Mm-hmm. Promotes the idea that Google will be able to upload your consciousness to the company's cloud like the pictures you take with your smartphone. He famously ingests a whole carton of longevity pills and hope that he won't die before the service comes online. Note what's going on here. The assertion is not that consciousness doesn't exist, but that whatever it is, Google will own it. Because otherwise, what could this service even be about? Jeez. That terrified me. Yeah, why don't we take a second to digest that statement? <laughs> I mean, literally, like my first question is, why? Does Google want to do that? What is their motivation? Think about this, everybody. It sounds like really cool. Like, oh, we all get eternal life because we can live in in the cloud forever. But why do they want to do it? What's their motivation? Sure. What do they get out of it? And that's a scary thought. That is a scary thought. Because first of all, let me remind you that if this happens and essentially the, you know, the 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 cloud never goes down. That means you're eternal. Sure. Okay. Now, if you're eternal and you have a consciousness, and the, obviously there's some benefit to them, right? So perhaps they want to farm out our intelligence in some way. Oh man, we're getting into some weird questions now. Exactly. Because then, but because then, is our biology and our consciousness like like can consciousness exist without its biology? Well, let's say that taken to the core of just consciousness itself, um, say it's just the calculation of thoughts, right? Let's say sure. that's that's our definition of consciousness. So, are we to believe first of all that they're going to be magnanimous and that we can just live forever? In the cloud for free? You're like, who pays for it? If we're dead, we can't work. Right? But what if we can? What if they want to use our brains to power whatever they're doing? So then the would, question is, do we have any would, rights? Would you be okay with... Oh, man. It brings back to Star Trek. Um, it's slavery. Yeah, but would you be okay with our collective brains being used for scientific expansion if you didn't have control over it? And you didn't have a choice. By the way, 
if you do this, you, you it's that's why I say it's slavery because you'll never get out of it because the only way out of it is to say no. And guess what? They turn you off. Yeah. And so basically, you either comply or die. Exactly. Slavery. Wow. That's that's a gr- that is a great name for this episode. <laughs> so, what is comply or die? Oh, comply or die. Well, that's, that's, it's, I feel like I feel like that exists in a book somewhere, like a uh, some kind of Ray Bradbury book. It's almost it's almost uh, something that a Dalek would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, but it's it's terrifying when you really think about it like that, because essentially that would make it eternal slavery. Yeah, but can you can you imagine how many people would go for that because it promises also immortality? I wouldn't want to live the re- forever as a slave. A lot of people would. Most people would die free. I think. You th- I think you you're think wrong. So? You think it really comes down to it? Interesting. Okay. I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised because of social context if a single African American would agree to that, mm. because of their history with slavery. That's true, and especially recent history too. Yeah, that makes sense. So maybe another culture, but there are definitely certain cultures. I don't think a single Native American would do it. True. I wouldn't. I'd rather be dead. Yeah, I'd rather I'd rather be dead than a slave for eternity. That sounds that sounds so bone chillingly horrifying. Just the thought of what that means for my consciousness to be forever used by this giant machine to calculate something with, against my will. And and need need I point out that because your consciousness, this goes back to your point about consciousness before I focused on that specific definition. Consciousness attached to the body and separated from the body would be two different things because our our biology, our impulses, all these things feed into our consciousness. Sure. We're removed from that. We would probably become purely logical, right? Because we would no longer have emotions. We would no longer have these other things that are tied to the physical being. And to some to some degree, um, we'd be freed from um, certain things in our consciousness that are tied to the fact that we die. Sure. Um, so if we're purely logical and we're put into this thing, so of course it's logical that we continue to work forever because otherwise we cease to exist. That's purely logical. So no one would ever revolt. It makes Google a very scary company when you think about it like that. Yeah, that's a pretty that's a pretty long extrapolation, though, in the sense that, like, I don't think they're they're close to being able to do that. But the closer they get, the more terrifying the idea becomes. Right. Well, I don't know how close they are. I mean, yeah, if he if he thinks true. that it's going to happen before he dies, they can't be very far from a feasible uh, that being feasible. Well, I mean, we think about it from. From a technological standpoint, the, the the curve of technology, right? Like we've we've talked about this before, um, and how difficult it is to gauge the speed of that curve as it heads towards a, a a pinpoint. And I feel like we're we're now kicking it into overdrive in a way that that human history has never understood before. And it, it's terrifying because people like Kurtzfall terrify me. Because they are so blind to the negatives. I don't think he he would even consider any of those thoughts. And he's a very smart man. I guarantee you he's not thought of any of those arguments. Mm. He only sees that as a positive thing. And that's why, going back to what I said before, um, to paraphrase Lanier from the last episode, utopian thinking leads to hell. Because 
you want to make things perfect, you're so blind to everything else. Man. This is a dark-ass episode. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> you got anything on your list that's maybe less, um, I don't know, find a rope and hang yourself? Oh, well, I mean, I don't know how we can we can even get to those things from where we are now. Oh, we just I make kinda, a hard I, left. I, I, I kind of want to keep going. I kind of like this. All right, let's um, keep going. Yeah, only because, you know, I, because I contemplate this shit all the time. Like, the, you know, Crystal will ask me what keeps me up at night. Well, this is the kind of shit that keeps me up at night. Um, <laughs> I just fed to that. Sorry. Yeah, well, don't don't worry. It actually makes it a lot easier for me to have someone to talk to about this. So I'm not just sit here, sitting here imagining the shit at four, 4 o'clock in the morning while I'm watching yet another you know, episode of some futurist podcast that talks about the downloading of human consciousness. So don't worry, you're 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 actually helping to make this better. At least we can laugh <laughs> about some of this shit. But I, I definitely, I definitely contemplate that. Like, you know, what humanity looks like when human when the humanity part of humanity is gone. Yeah, you know, it's it's a very weird question to contemplate, but I don't think we're far off from that. I mean, it goes back to what we're talking about our, our, with our social media personas, right? At which point does 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 our persona take over for us as as people? Like, at, at what point does the personality that we it, it, that we show online become more important than who we actually are in person? I think for a lot of people, that's actually already true, whether they're conscious of it or not. I I would venture to say it's definitely true for most teenagers. Sure. Because they don't know anything different, right? They were born into this already existing. So the paradigm is not even questioned. Sure. And it's like... God, that's that's god-awful. You know, like one of the things that... Um, I, I grew up around religious people. And one of the Catholics... Um, and one of the things that would come up a lot is, you know, this idea of one day they're going to want to put a chip into your skin. You know, and that's the mark of the beast because they want to track you. All this stuff, this stuff would come up all the time, right? Guess what? It did. Turns out they didn't have to do that because all they had to do was invent this little tiny pocket monolith that we carry with us everywhere that we're addicted to, that we dip into all the time instead of talking to each other. That has GPS on it, that has a microphone on it, that has a camera on it, and they can track us whenever they want. And we walked into it. Sure. We walked ourselves into the gas chambers mm. as a society. That's terrifying because all of these, that's, that's why this stuff bothers me because it's so, this stuff is, you know, it's like, oh, this is, this is awesome. We're making this thing that's really cool. You know, it's like, it's like inventing, um, what, uh, there's a great Radio Lab episode about CRISPR. You're familiar with CRISPR? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's for people who aren't, um, I guess you, it's the way to splice genes um, in a way that was not able to be done before. You can remove something from a DNA strand and put something else in. Um, for example, I think in the episode they talk about if you want to take a bee and say a bee, I don't remember what was wrong with the bee, but um, let's say the, the bee wouldn't didn't have the ability to digest the pollen from one particular flower. But you want yep. them to be able to do that because you want to move the bees to this part of the world. You can just splice that gene in. You just make that happen. But what happens when that bee flies out of that zone and takes that gene and spreads it to other parts of the world? 
you know, what happens if that be when you, when you change that gene, you accidentally change something that made it venomous and now it's killing hundreds of thousands of people and you can't stop it because the bees are in the wild and they're mating and spreading that gene. You know, you have these things, this is a really good idea. Awesome. Except you forgot to think about all of the bad shit that's possible. This might be our darkest episode ever. (laughs) (laughs) The black hole of despair. Yeah, now we're talking about killer fucking bees. Jeez, dude. Um, but yeah, but the, but the, but the CRISPR argument, I it, there's there's you know for every for every bad side of these coins, there's also the good side too, right? And I think I think for me, the, being the hopeless optimist that I am, I don't think it's about the technology itself. I think it's about the fact that we are just not culturally evolved enough to use it because we don't contemplate these other things. We get blind, yeah, like, right. like the phone, Absolutely. like the phone, for example. Like we're, we 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 were we are definitely not ready for smartphones as a society. I'm not saying, I'm not even saying the technology is bad. You know, I, I inherently think the technology is good, but I think that we are just not culturally evolved enough to not, to not be hurt by it. Well, here's, I mean, okay, let me ask you a question. When you think about your phone, what's the first thing you think about? Literally just the, f- the functions. I don't mean like emotionally. <laughs> emotionally for for um, most people what do you think is probably the most used feature of the phone i don't mean I text, app. I text message like a madman well what do you think most people probably that and what else maybe the internet yeah social media the internet sure okay so here's an example of that blindness anybody wants go back and watch steve jobs announcing the first iphone is about 5% of the thing at the end where he goes, oh, by the way, this thing connects to the internet. Mm. Everything else, he's like, oh, this is, this is so great because he spends forever just like going to the music app and flipping through the music app. You know, like, oh, look at you can get, you can get album cover view. Um, what was that called? Cover flow. Cover flow. Yeah, cover flow, yeah. Forever. And he's like, and look, I can just look up this artist and play this song. And he plays a Beatles song. And then I can do this. Like, Almost like probably like thirty percent of the the presentation is him having fun with the iPod function, and then the phone function is a huge thing. He's like, he even says he says, um, calling is the killer app. Um, <laughs> and and it's talk about phone. He says, look at this, and he goes in the contact and just he's having so much fun just going and watching all the, all the names go across the screen. That's what he thought the device was. That's all he saw. He's like, this is a phone and a camera and it plays music. And that's amazing. Oh, by the way, we threw in internet. I don't know what the hell you're going to do with that, but we got this other stuff that's amazing. And now it's the internet everywhere, all the time, forever. I guarantee you, if you made a phone that didn't have a camera, but had internet, people would buy it rather than buy a phone that had a camera and no internet. Oh, completely. I, I don't even doubt that. Yeah. And that's the blind, the blind way of thinking. And it's, it's like, for example, um, you know, you know, I've been like, I, I messaged you on that signal thing earlier. I've just been looking at alternate um, ways of doing things um, because you know, there's part in there where it just it hit me in reading that book, um, and in reading something else that you know, um, people don't know this, but Google can read all of your email. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
is not encrypted from them. They can read everything. And guess what? They are. Yep. Not people. Not people, but algorithms. And they're 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 taking all that information, they're doing stuff with it. We operate as if that's not true. Of course they would. Of course they would. If you have access to that information, what would you do with it? Not do something with it? Right. Well, look at look at now Amazon bought Euro. Euro. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which means now they control your way to connect to the internet. You don't think that, you know, they said they're not going to, but they said we're not going to yet. But you don't right. think eventually they're not gonna <laughs> they're not gonna put something in there that reads all of your internet traffic? Oh, of course they are. I mean, and, I'd be shocked if they aren't already doing it, to be honest with you. And and not to be a doom, you know, a nays what do you call it? Doomsayer? No. Um Naysayer and Doom. Wow. Lost that word. Both of us. Uh, not oh, to man. be um, uh, a worry wart. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't have the same strength. But, you know, neither of these companies are intentionally doing anything evil. They're just trying to make money and make good products. That's literally all they're trying to do. Just like social media. Social media is not trying to amplify the negative and make people assholes. They're just trying to make money. But the problem is, all of this shit happens naturally. You know, what's sure. the best way to make money? More information. Sure. So let's collect all of that. And but usually and usually negative information. All of it. They collect everything. Literally everything. Sure. Fart jokes, cat memes, <laughs> dick pics. Yep, they've got them all. Yeah, can you imagine the the catalog of dick pics that exists um, within the social media platforms? Oh, it's it's ridiculous. It's got a number in the hundreds of millions by now. Well, it's like when people used to think that you know Snapchat was a great way to send them because Snapchat didn't save them, and then like a year later it came out like oh yeah they did they saved everything. Yep, they've got all of your vaginas and all of your balls and all of your nipples. <laughs> they're, they're squishing them all together to make one giant sexual monster collage. Yeah, one like megalithic <laughs> sexual thing. It's like Akira. Uh, the penis Akira. Yeah, jeez, man. That might actually be the good thing for the episode. That is We've had so enough horrifying. genitals in the titles of episodes. Yeah, I feel like I feel like that unintentionally happens quite a bit. <laughs> That's <laughs> because that kind of sh- you know once again shocking right it's funny I, I feel like at some point we need to have like we need to start an episode not on politics because I feel like it it's invariably a rabbit hole that takes well, us we, into this direction I don't think that most of them we do start with politics actually most of them we ended in politics most of them we start off like talking about dogs start talking about something we watched. We start out very innocuous, usually, and then by the time they get deep, they're like, what the fuck am I listening yeah, to? Just, it just completely goes off the rails, and we're talking about politics and horror, and the horror of humanity and how we're not ready for things. I still believe that to be the biggest, the biggest component of it for me is the fact that we're just... It, it's not that any of these things are inherently bad. It's that we just don't know how to deal with them. We're, we're children with firearms. Oh, yeah. Infants with firearms, even. Yeah. And it's... Just, and it's the things that we can do to hurt ourselves and each other are so the consequences are so high now 
And I think that's what that's what freaks me out. It's not like you're falling off a bike anymore. It's like you're falling off a cliff. Yeah, or falling from space. Sure. Like, well, it's going to be a long fall. Yeah. Long, long way down. And the price you pay is so high. So, yeah, one of the things that I looked into, well, not looked into, that I'm using, trying to use now is ProtonMail, mm-hmm. which is this end-to-end encryption email. It's great, yep. but um, this is how these other guys get you, is because of convenience, right? The thing that sucks about ProtonMail is, you know, like now your contacts that you put in there, they're not going to be in your iPhone. You know, they're separate. What? Really? No, they're in ProtonMail. It doesn't oh, connect. True. Oh, that's true. Um, Signal does that too, actually. Yeah, it doesn't connect. That's how it's secure. It doesn't connect to those things. <laughs> so it, it's in its own little enclave. So you have to like make these decisions. You know, certain things, that's totally fine with me. You know, I don't mind for email, but the signal one's difficult for me because I don't really get... Um, I, I said this to you in a message. I don't really get... You're going to create this secure end-to-end encryption message thing, but then I still have to give people my phone number. It's just weird to me. Yeah, I understand. I know where you're going with it. I mean, I just, I just like the idea that, that the messages disappear if you choose for them to. Yeah. There was another one called like Cyberdust or something like that. I don't know if that yeah, one's... Yeah, I, I, think, I think at some point we're going to move to end-to-end encryption on most things when it comes to communication. But I, I do hear what you say about the ecosystem thing, though. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I literally just took that stab earlier this week and dove back into the 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 Apple ecosystem, and I love it. But I also see I also see the inherent danger in existing in only that ecosystem, and how much of my freedom and data I give up for it. Right. Well, the one thing that you can say about the Apple ecosystem, though, is you know, like iMessages end in encrypted. Yeah, that's true. You know, like I was listening to an interview with a. Um, cybersecurity specialist with um, he's talking to John Gruber on the talk show and he asked him he's like so how do you message he's like well first of all he's like my priority one he says most most of my stuff goes through iMessage he's like then I'll move down to cyber I mean cyber um, signal or wicker I think was the other one he said Um, but most of it he just does through iMessage so it's secure enough for him sure but it's the other stuff that I worry about, you know, because Google will never, ever stop reading your emails. Sure. Because it's, it's the core of their business value. I mean, it's hard to, I shouldn't say read your emails. They won't steal your emails. They're not reading them. Nobody's actually reading them. They're just going into the giant Google brain cloud that we're all supposed to be a part of, Right. Yeah, that's slowly but surely. I mean, I, I have no, I have no palpable fear of like an AI taking over the world, but there is definitely a machine learning human behavior. <laughs> well, there's something I guarantee you it's happening right now. I guarantee sure. this is happening. Oh yeah, I don't, I don't doubt it. No, I mean something separate. Um, that all those emails, mm-hmm. and if you use their text messaging and. Um, probably if you use their keyboard app, all the keystrokes, all of your Google searches, all of that has been put into a computer model. And somewhere there's an AI computer modeling EU. Oh, yeah, I don't doubt that. That there is a fake you in the Google Cloud right now. Yeah. 
It's probably not very good, but that's how they make it better. Because the more emails you send, the better. better well, it's, like, it's like biometric security, right? Like a, the, the learning biometric security that takes the 144,000 polygons of your face and slowly uh, learns it over time. Well, I mean, that's the tangible version of it, but I'm sure the, the esoteric version of that exists as well. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's really terrifying. It's, I mean, it's made me just reevaluate everything where it's like, I'm not, I don't post anything social, anything personal on social media anymore. I, I use Google for, um, crap, you know, like, um, I signed up for this service. Yeah. Send it over to my Google address. I don't give a shit. Let them get my spam, make a fake me out of my spam. I do all, all my personal stuff through ProtonMail now. But then you see, then you, you come up with a choice, right? And the choice is, do you just not play in the sandbox at all? Yeah. That's my and, goal. And if you get to that point, how does that disconnect you from the rest of the world culturally? I don't think it does. You don't think so? No, I think that, w- that we've, we've bought into this lie that we will be separated from humanity if we're not attached to that shit anymore. Sure. But it's fake. It's not real. We've been sold fucking snake oil. But, but here's the problem, right? Everybody's been sold snake oil. So what? So there's a buy That doesn't, that doesn't that. make it any faker, less fake. Oh, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't disagree. I'm just saying that a lot of people have bought into it. So, so now what is the balance point for, for you if you want to be included in the conversation? I don't want to be included in the conversation because it's a okay. bullshit conversation. Okay, then that answers that. It has no context. It has no nuance. So it's not a conversation. Sure. It's a screaming match. And I don't want to be in a screaming match. And that's the thing is we keep telling ourselves that it's a conversation, but it's not. Sure. You, just, you, want, to, you want everybody to stop yelling, basically. Everybody stop yelling so you can actually hear somebody speak for, for a second. No, you know what I think? The people that are able to break away from it should hope everybody stays in it. Because we're going to be the ones that control the world. Oh, yeah, good point. When everybody numbs themselves down and makes themselves dumb and unable to make critical decisions because all they are doing is reacting to these, you know, 140 character snippets of nothingness, who's going to be running everything? Well, now you suddenly have an advantage, right? Exactly. It sounds like, you know, like master evil plan. But I just mean that, hey, I'll be able to do what I want while everybody else is fighting over imaginary wars. Oh, man. The problem, though, is still the world, man. I, I know that's kind of a broad and blanket statement, but what I mean by that is that there's still, there's still so much buy-in. Yeah. I think it's it's the tides are slowly turning. I mean... You know how many books were released this year about the negative things of, of social media? Sure. It's, it's turning. People are starting to realize like, oh, this makes me fucking miserable. I don't want to be miserable. And that's the one motivation they never planned. Well, and I think, part of it, I think part of it comes back to the thing that you said early on too, which is um, I think people always side towards freedom if, if it really comes down to it. You know, like I, I, your Patreon example is a great example of that, right? Like, why did why are people leaving Patreon in droves? And it's because the illusion of freedom is gone. Yeah, 
the illusion of free speech is gone. The illusion of, 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 of being part of that rebel social revolution is gone. And the truth of it is out, which is you either, you're either with us or you're against us. And you gotta, you gotta do things the way we tell you to do them. And you have to say the things we want you to say. And the moment we're given that constraint in an obvious way, we instantly as, as humans rebel against it. Right. Well, most of us, some people really like being sheep. Yeah, yeah. And don't get me wrong. Like, I, I think that there are plenty of sheep in the world too. But I think even, even the sheep, if, if pushed far enough, will side towards freedom. I mean, that's how you have things like the French Revolution, you know? People well, you were just sheep pushed far enough. What's that? You need sheep and goats. Yeah, that's true. Nothing that's wrong true. with being a sheep. You know, you can't fight a war with everybody trying to lead it. Yeah, that's that, that, that concept of total war, right? There's no such thing where every single man, woman, and child is fighting for the cause. Right. Or the opposite, where everybody's fighting their own war. Some sure. people have to follow. Yeah. That's just... That's the way it is. You know, it's like everybody can't be the boss at work. Nothing would ever get done. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, I think this is the way that we're going to... That's why I think some of these companies have such big problems, right? Why they go through so much, so many personnel changes is because everybody's trying to be the boss and they're all trying to go 50 different directions. You know, I, I feel like... Now we're going back to your dog conversation about whether it's it's we're assuming that that dogs think like humans um, or whether they think um, in a pack mentality. Well, I think both of those things are true in the reverse too, in the sense that I don't think we even know what the fuck we want. <laughs> you know, there's definitely a strong component of of even for a guy like me, I feel like I'm a pretty rebellious guy, and I feel like I'm I'm you know forward thinking, um, and and I'm I I like to lead. Um, the last two and a half years of my life, I purposefully chose to follow because I needed a break from that. And I think even, I, I think we go, we all go through waves of that in our life. And at some point, you want someone else to take the lead because that's what humanity at its core is all about. It's like, you carry me today so I can carry you tomorrow, you know? Right. Well, yeah, total freedom is a complete illusion. Sure, totally. I don't want to decide everything. You know what I mean? Like, yes, I want to decide what I'm going to wear today. I'm going to decide when I walk the dog. I'm going to decide um, what's a good time to have lunch. But I don't want to decide on how that bread's put together. I don't want to. I don't want to decide. You know, I don't want to decide everything. I don't want to decide foreign policy. Oh sure. That's why, yeah. that's why we have politicians, right? Because we're like, fuck. I don't want to do that. Sure. I don't want to decide that. Make this guy do that. Make this lady do that. Well then, ultimately, if that's the if that's the case, then how do you decide what you want to to, to spearhead? Like, what is what, where does your inherent sense of desire and motivation come from when it comes to what you will take initiative on? I think for me, it's just is instinct. I think for most of us, it is. If it matters to you, you take control of it. If it doesn't, you just. That's why this Google thing and all this stuff happens is because the shit that I'm worried about that I'm taking control of, nobody else feels passionate about it, so they don't worry about it. So, oh, sure. yeah, and, yeah, and, that makes sense. And in no way am I trying to convince them any differently, because I can't. I feel like there's a component of this that we're missing. Um, 
And I feel like this this goes back to something that I've been saying for a long time, which is our educational system doesn't doesn't fuel or feed or train our intuition very well. Well, I would think that even beyond that, our media doesn't train that anymore because, um, you know, like what we were talking about before with this ha- happy ending, the, the, the addiction to happy endings. Guess what? That's not feeding that same thing. Everything has an easy solution. Everything comes together in the end. Well, and then I guess this all ties back to your initial postulation, which is that what we've forgotten how to do as a species is um, critically think. Yeah, it's obvious. Most people don't want to. It's tiring. God, this is a deep-ass episode. (laughs) I I think this is the most back-and-forth we've had in a long time, actually. Like, we were asking each other a lot of questions, and I think that's really... It's weirdly healthy. Um, but it also makes me realize how little I do this in my life. Yeah. I don't, and, I don't. And, and so you're probably right. I think most people don't want to question the reality on a daily basis. It's because we've, def- that's why social media is so addictive at its core. Why? Because we defer choice. We, we defer everything to that. Just like, um, like addiction to anything else, right? The addiction comes first, so everything else gets deferred. And that's why addiction is powerful. The reason addiction is powerful is because it frees us. We think it frees us, right? It frees us from the responsibility of everything. Yeah, because choice is hard. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's what people rebel against when they choose addiction. They rebel against choice. Uh, I choose so to be a victim of heroin. Why? Because then I don't have to think about the fact that I live in this shit neighborhood and this job. I free myself of that responsibility. In fact, I free myself of going to work. I free myself of showering. Addiction is a false freedom. Interesting. It's, 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 that's what we're truly addicted to. Is is basically alleviating responsibility from our lives. Yeah, we're we're choosing singularity, right? All I've got to pay attention to is this one thing. You know, like, it doesn't matter what happens here. Hey, how many likes did I get on that picture? Whatever I was just thinking about is gone. So guess what? Yeah. It doesn't matter. Sure. Oh man, this is like this is one of the deepest episodes we've ever had. I feel like next episode we got we have to talk about like chocolate and puppies. Well, we'll see what happens. <laughs> it depends yeah. on the mood. You know, I actually we make no chocolate. promises. The reason I said that is because I actually had chocolate and puppies on my list. <laughs> oh, I thought you said I had chocolate and puppies before we started. I'm like, that's oh, dear a God, strange geez, meal. Dude. I'm not a monster. Come on, Chad. <laughs> Jeez, dude. Chocolate bunnies are okay, but chocolate puppies. It's no, that's up. that's a little much. I have, I, I, I still do hold on to that 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 symbiotic relationship that I have with. I love dogs. I'm just a dog guy. Oh, you want to talk about something positive? I have something positive for you right now. What do you got? And it kind of fits into not only sort of what we were just talking about, it also ties back to something from last week. I finally watched that Mr. Rogers documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Oh, nice. Try watching that without crying through the whole thing. Oh, man. The, his Senate hearing is brutal. He basically saved public television single-handedly. Yeah. He's 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 a hero. He's, he's a... Uh, national hero in ways that very few people will ever understand. I mean, it's it's so interesting watching it because he's like, he's so good 
that it's hard to believe. You know, even like certain people will be like, I think he's gay. Because it's like you couldn't accept that the guy was just so genuinely good that they had to look for something like, well, he's hiding something. Yeah, sure. Like he uh, I don't know why I gave that it that accent. <laughs> I won't um, even I won't even make any assumptions about why. But, but yeah, I mean that that's the it's 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 hard. I mean, I'm gonna be real with you, I had that reaction. Mm-hmm. And and I hate to say that I did, you know, because I I, I I caught myself in the moment of doing that and and was ashamed at how I needed to do that to feel better about it. It's like what I said earlier, the easy emotions are the negative ones. Oh, of course. It's like, oh, there's got to be something wrong with this guy. There's got to yeah. be something hiding. No, maybe he's just a good dude and I'm the asshole. And literally you watch this documentary and you're like, um, fuck, he really was that good. Yeah, he was just that good a guy. Holy crap. I mean, like, t- just like two two moments that I'll point out that just kind of like knocked me on my can. First of all, um, there's uh, I don't know if you remember this from watching the show as a kid. You watched it as a kid, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. So he used to like uh, there one four three, but even before Pager Code, Mister Rogers was on to one four three means I love you. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's an interesting thing. Do you know that he used to go to the Y every day and swim laps? And then he'd get up and he would weigh himself, get out of the pool and he would weigh himself. And that for like 30 years, he weighed exactly 143 pounds. No shit. No, I didn't know that. Not because of accident or something mystical, but he literally made sure he knew what to do to his body to weigh that. And he had the discipline to make sure that he weighed what he believed was the equivalent of I love you. Huh. Wow. What discipline. That's nuts. Right. And then the other thing that just is one of the most, there's a whole thing. I can't remember the guy's name. Clemens. Yeah. Um, Officer Clemens. Mm -hmm. So first of all, people will be surprised knowing this, but um, he was was a lifelong Republican. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, if you look at everything he did, you'd say, hmm, that doesn't sound like what we stereotypically would associate with a Republican. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the party, the Republican Party that he was a part of is very different from the one that exists now. Hell, even the Republican Party that existed 10 years ago is different from the one that exists now. And and he was in that Senate hearing to protect public broadcasting. He was in front of Republican that were trying to get rid of it. Nixon wanted to nix public broadcasting and that senator i can't remember his name he just kind of like melted that center it's kind of a magic moment but other things he did on the show specifically around officer clemens so officer clemens he chose to have first of all chose to have a black person on the show which was kind of controversial for a children's show in like 1962 or whenever he started the original show yeah um not only that he chose to make him a police officer because he wanted that paradigm to exist. Whereas like, I don't want you to view him just as, as a black man, but he's a police officer because black people can be police officers and they can be good police officers. Then, and I don't remember what year it was, but there was this whole uproar about black people in swimming pools. 
that pe- black people weren't supposed to be in public swimming pools. It was like this resurgence of segregation, right? And to the, like they'll show a video in the documentary of like this um, hotel owner. This is so awful. There's there's like f- four or five of black people swimming in this pool. And by the way, this is where the whole black people don't like to swim stereotype. It came out of this stupid thing about people not wanting them to be in pools. Most yeah, that's so insane when you say it out loud. Yeah. Um, so this guy came out, this hotel um, or motel owner or whatever, and started dumping chemicals into the pool and on their heads to get them out of the pool. Jeez. So number one, when we think about how much society is uh, crazy and fucked up right now, remember that used to happen. And remember that that's not that long ago. Yeah. And that was okay. To, um, I'm not saying it is okay. I'm saying that with quotes. And that's okay. You know, that was acceptable for you to dump chemicals on them because of their skin color. Nobody arrested that guy. Um, so anyways, this huge uproar about pools. Mr. Rogers, next episode. He's sitting out in front of Mr. Rogers' house. And he's got his feet in a kiddie pool. He's running water over his feet. Okay, I find this on the web for now in front of Mr. Rogers' house, and it's going to speak in a kiddie pool. Take a look. <laughs> what the hell was that? <laughs> that was Siri. Okay, so anyways, <laughs> he's in front of the he's in front of the house. He's pouring water on his feet, and um, Officer Clemens comes up and he says, um, "What are you doing?" And he says, "He says, well, it's so hot today. He's in." I'm just running some water over my feet in this pool to keep cool. And he goes, wow, that sure does look nice. And he says, would you like to join me? And Officer Clemens takes off his shoes and puts his feet into the little kiddie pool next to him. And he says, but I don't have a towel. And he says, don't worry, you can share mine. And then you see this picture of two black feet and two white feet in the same pool. That's amazing. It's extraordinary. What an extraordinary human being. And there's also a whole thing about that guy that played Officer Clemens. In real life, he was gay. Oh, man. And obviously, being on a children's program at that time, that was like the worst thing possible. Oh, sure. Absolutely. And he got he got caught going into, or, or somebody saw him going into a gay bar. And Mr. Rogers actually told him, like, don't do that. You know, because we'll all be off the air. Society sure. is not ready for that. Um, and it's not even clear, like maybe he wasn't either. He was a religious man. Um, but after that, there's a point where Mr. Rogers used to sing this song, like something along the lines, like, I like you for who you are, just the way you are. But one day the guy who plays Clemens looks over at Mr. Rogers and he goes, I feel like you're singing that to me. And Mr. Rogers says, yeah, I have been for two years waiting for you to figure it out. That's amazing. Yeah. And the guy starts like crying in the interview. And he's like, he's like, no man in my entire life had ever told me that. Not my father, not my stepfather. He says, and from that day forward, he became like my surrogate father. Jeez. Wow. Wow. Just an extraordinary human being. I mean, everybody, please go watch that documentary. Please. I mean, if... That's what we need more of right now. Not just like that pe- that person, you know, there's only so many people that can be that person, but just that feeling that somebody can be that. You know, we, we're all so wrapped up in 
tearing each other apart. Maybe we need to remember that people can be like this. Well, I mean, it inspires you in, in a way that's very different, right? Like it's, it tells you that goodness is possible. True, pure goodness. Yeah, goodness without a price is possible. You know, it's funny. Um, the reason I said it ties back to last week. So I remember last week when I said, um, when we were talking about the, the, the false illusion of happy endings. And, and you just said, what would I say? And I said something along the lines, you know, like if you work, you can find happiness or whatever. Almost the opposite of what Mr. Rogers says, except that what Mr. Rogers says is, I love you for who you are, right? Not, mm-hmm. not you, can, you can be anything you want to be, but literally for who you are right now, that's great. You're special for who you are right this second. And there was a huge backlash in like, I think it was like the late 80s of people against Mr. Rogers because they said that he ruined a whole generation telling them that they were special. Jeez. So even somebody that good can be controversial. <laughs> well, I guess, I mean, if he, if he did it now, that'd be controversial. Oh, yeah. Man, that's, that's shocking. Okay. Well, I mean, that's... that's I don't even know how to respond to that. I mean, I, I can't, there, I remember I, I kind of watched it in passing um, and I didn't watch it all the way through, but I feel like now I need to just literally sit down and focus and watch every second of that documentary. I think it's on HBO right now. Yeah. I feel like I missed a lot. Well, I don't know that we can go anymore. I have something that's totally unrelated. So we're going to leave that till maybe next week. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm actually next week. I'm. I'm actually going to make it a point to literally try to get to something on my list. I literally didn't get to a single thing on my list. You got to start just injecting that stuff in. Yeah, but what we talk about is more interesting to me. <laughs> so I don't even want to. Like, I mean, we're talking. We're we're talking about social strata and exploring the universe. I want to talk about fucking puppies. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anytime I feel a dip, I just grab from the list because obviously I don't want any dead time. Oh yeah, sure, sure. I feel like that's not—that's never even possible. I feel like if you just handed us enough snacks and liquids, we could talk for days. And a catheter. Oh yeah, catheter, true. Yeah, about a shared day. catheter though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking speaking of what is happening to your dog right now, is your dog just in full chill mode? He is unconscious. Out cold, Ugh, solid. sleeping I off envy. that influenza shot. I, I envy, I envy things that can sleep peacefully. I haven't slept peacefully in over in probably over a month. Uh, you got to start doing something. Yeah, I'm. I'm trying to figure it out. I mean, I was having this conversation with uh, Crystal the other day. You know, for some people it's meditation. Uh, for some people it's yoga. For some people it's running or hiking. I haven't found my thing yet that relaxes me because I've tried all of those things and I've tried them for extended periods of time. And Maybe instead really, of adding, you should start subtracting. Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, that's, I, I'm, I will say that whether I like it or not, I'm one of the busiest people I know. And I feel like a lot of that busyness is not necessary and it's time for me to start just hacking away at shit. Well, I can say this. I think that um, in my personal experience, when I was really busy, um, and I can say I've seen this from my end of you, you drop a lot of balls. And that, that feeds a lot into your sense of, of, of self and worth. 
because sure. there's always a part of your brain, even if you're forgetting stuff, there's always a part of your brain that isn't. Yeah. And those are, you know, like, you, know, you say, I'm going to do this. I'll, I'll send you this. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll meet you there at this. And then it doesn't happen. There's always a part of your brain that's going, oops, didn't yeah. do that one. Yeah. True. And that, that, that eats away at you. It eat it, 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 it away at me for sure. That's why I literally went down to like zero and then built back up from zero. Oh, that's a good idea. I have I'm not doing any of that. I did that with TV. Remember when I stopped I, I canceled all of my online services? I actually do remember that, yeah. And then I just slowly started adding one. Okay, I'm gonna watch this one and this one. And then I got to a point where I'm like, this is manageable. Sure. How long did it take you to rebuild that back up again? Only a couple months. Okay. Yeah, I feel like I need to do that. Like I need to I need to reach a singularity here. So I feel like, you know, and, and it's, it, I, I keep thinking to myself that the rest of the world is doing it to me, you know, with all the stuff that's been going on over the last like six months. But I feel like I would have had a lot more bandwidth to deal with the things that I needed to deal with if I wasn't just constantly inundated with things to do. Yeah, I mean, you're literally, when I picture you sometimes, I picture you running, carrying too many books and the books are falling. You know, it's funny that you say that. Crystal says that, and she's not the only person to say this, but she says that her lasting image of me is 10 of me in lab coats all running in different directions, doing different things at the same time. Yeah, you got to just minimize, man. That's, <laughs> I mean, like literally just narrow that shit down. You know what, I, what I've been um, doing a little bit recently, and, and I mean just in the last few days, because I don't have that input from social media anymore. So one of the things, um, this is a neutral thing, but one of the things that social media does is it continually feeds us with what we should be thinking about or what we can be thinking about, right? You know, if I open it up and there's a bunch of tweets about Trump, now I'm thinking about Trump. I didn't choose to, but I am. Yeah. I open it up and there are 15 um, Facebook messages about, um, I don't know, the Rolling Stones. Now I'm thinking about the Rolling Stones. I didn't choose to, but I am. Um, and, you know, those are usually short stints. That's that's one of the difficult things about social media, right? It's like I'm thinking about the Rolling Stones, but not deep because, boom, now I'm thinking about um, Umberto Eco because this guy wrote an uh, article about Umberto Eco. Oh, I forgot about that. Now I'm thinking about that song with the lyrics, emergency, state of emergency. Um, you know, so we're always scattered. We're, we're always doing that with our brains. But because I don't have that anymore, um, I actually went through like kind of a boredom period. Um, but now like I'll find like a little nugget of something. And now like yesterday I saw something, a video about um, the talking heads. And I was like, God damn, I love that band. I need to listen to all the albums all the way through. And then I wouldn't learn about their songwriting process. And now I'm just like focused on the talking <laughs> heads for no reason other than I want to know it. And now that I give myself a direction now. Sure. And it's singular. Yeah. You get to choose the direction. That's really nice. And then when I'm done with it, I'm done with it because there's no purpose to it. You know, I'm not trying to get anywhere. I'm just going to keep doing it until I go, okay, I've had enough talking heads. Hmm. That, that's a really good feeling. I, I don't think I have felt that in over a decade. Literally, don't open your social media apps for a week. Okay. 
Not unless Instagram. It's, um, unless, it's, unless it's something related for work and I'm doing it on the computer, I will literally delete the apps off of my... Okay, fuck it, dude. Like I've been scared to do it this whole time and we've been talking about it this whole time. Tonight, they all get deleted. Get right an, get an app, a third-party app, even if you have to pay fucking 5 or $10 a month that lets you post to Instagram without having to sign into the app. Mm, okay. And then you can do all of your work stuff through there. You're not going to screw any of that stuff up, but you don't have to go in. Hmm. Okay. It's going to happen. Doing it tonight. At Man, least for this a week. This is, this is going to be real weird. Here's, here's a challenge though. Write one paragraph every night about how it feels so that you can tell us about it when, you, when we come back. Huh. Okay. Solid. Good idea. <laughs> I mean, you can go further than a paragraph, but I'm saying just give yourself yeah, that write, minimal write goal. At least, write at least a paragraph. Yeah. Like today, I'm totally fucking bored. I don't know if I can keep doing this. That's technically a paragraph. Whatever. <laughs> so just get as raw as I need to about the process of doing it. Yeah, just document it. Because that's gonna it's gonna give you insight into your brain sure. in a way that you haven't had for a while. I mean, I didn't document it, I wish I had, but I did have these realizations like, oh, right now I would be doing this. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I don't know what to do for the next half hour. Wow. Okay. Yeah, doing it. They're going bye bye today. Done. Anybody else that wants to join in, try that. Yeah, and, and document it too. That'd be fascinating to hear other people's thoughts on it eventually as yeah. well. And um, we don't plug social media on this show anymore. So you can go to hoifulproductions.com. Check out the website. You can go to vacantroom.com, which is Lamb's website. Check out his website. Um, other than that, I, I think that... Uh, I don't know. Um, do we really have a way for you guys to contact us? No, we don't. So <laughs> if you love the show, send it to someone. And if, if you know, you think you have thoughts about the weird stuff that we're doing or whatever, tell other people. You know, we don't we don't need the validation. Um, you could review us on iTunes. That would be really cool. But but the one thing we do want to do is continually further the conversation. And if you can do anything for this show start a conversation with somebody about something we've talked about or even something that you want to talk about but have never talked about and yeah. and, and keep it going that way because we all get better when we're all talking to each other. And we don't promise never to um, offend you or to bore you. <laughs> Hopefully, well, if, not if, if anything, we do promise to occasionally offend you and often bore you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're just going to talk about whatever the hell we want, but that's what we want to do. So yep. that's what this show is. It's not about fame because we don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> and so it never could be. Yeah. But we want you to share the show just because I'm a, I want to have other people spin off of these ideas. Yep. You might think we're totally wrong and then you might come up with something brilliant. So we love you guys. All six of you. Just kidding. <laughs> Bye, babies. Bye. <laughs>